Yo, so I got my man Todd Rennebaum here, uh, mental health advocate, host of the Bunny Hugs and Mental Health podcast, and author of Sometimes Daddy Cries, and I have my copy right here for everybody nice. to see. Yes. So I got a man, uh, does a lot of good work helping people heal and also helping people laugh. So really just... Honored to have my man on the podcast. How you doing, Todd? Good, good. Thank you for uh, for thinking I'm s- somewhat humorous. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to be a smart ass, and well, I don't try to actually. It just comes naturally. But uh, I, I'm glad that you got a kick out of it. Now you got some good jokes in there too. You take a lot of. I, I like the conversations you have with your guests too, and you're able to throw a little comedy in there too. So it's it's <laughs> it's informative and it's fun to be there. So course appreciate it oh right on right on well thanks man no problem um so i wanted to have you here today to obviously share a little bit about your story uh what you're about your message and all that stuff and kind of like what brought you to do what you're doing um so i know the first question you might have asked me when i was on your podcast was were you a traditional 12-stepper i i i was um I, it took me a long time to find any kind of treatment or want to stop using, but uh, once I did, yeah, I uh, I live in a very small town in the middle of nowhere, Canada, uh, and I didn't have much options but an AA group, which which only met once a week, and um, and to go through a, a treatment center that you know it's it's twelve step based, so yeah, right. Now, the really big question was, I wanted to ask, when did you start taking your mental health seriously or what led you to start taking your mental health seriously? Hmm. Um, well, I thought <laughs> I was always taking it seriously. <laughs> um, I remember I was like 18 years old and I had some friends that were five or six years older than me and he had depression. He was on medication and stuff. I'm 45 now, so that was like, you know, 30 freaking years ago. <laughs> Not yeah. quite, but close to 30 years ago. And uh, he he actually sat me down and explained what depression and anxiety was because I just I – I had no idea what the hell was wrong with me. I just couldn't get out of bed some days and, uh, I, you know, I was constantly scared to do things, which was the anxiety, right? Um, so then I, uh, I actually saw a doctor then and – it he basically didn't help me at all. <laughs> so I thought I was doing something, you know, uh, proactive about it. And then I, uh, I, I remember like my wife, when we first started dating, I remember sitting her down and trying to explain that I kind of had some bouts of depression and stuff. And so like just little things like that, I thought was being very proactive and probably was back then, like 30, 25, 30 years ago, because I was talking about it. I wasn't just hiding it. Right. Uh, and then, let's see, it was probably another, mm, let's see, it was probably 15 years ago, I first went and saw a doctor. Sorry, not first. I, I went and saw a doctor again. And uh, that this time they did put me on medication and stuff. And so I, I took some time off work and I thought, okay, I'm, this is... This is what I do now. Like I didn't, I didn't understand how to take care of my mental health. Really. That said, I was also drinking and smoking pot. Like uh, they were both going out of style. 
and uh, turns out neither are going out of style. Um, <laughs> but um, so anyway, I, uh, I, you know, I thought I was being proactive and then I started seeing a counselor and I was like, oh, I'm being real proactive. But at the same time, I was also like I was doing things that were outside my moral code, we'll say. So, um, uh, you know, I was hurting my wife. I was a bad father. I was a bad employee. I was a bad son. Like I was, you know, I was a mess. And I thought I was doing all the right things because just because I'm taking medication and going to therapy, again, I wasn't doing any of the work that the therapist was giving me. I was still smoking and drinking constantly, smoking pot and drinking all the time. So, (laughs) so it's kind of funny. And so in retrospect, I actually wasn't really doing anything in a way, right? Because I wasn't doing any of the work other than just going through the motions, really. Uh, and then, uh, I, you know, shit came to a head and I had a suicide attempt and there was about a good year. I mean, I was like obsessed about death and I was really low and I was, yeah, that's when I was really doing things outside my moral code. Uh, so then I thought, uh, so then I went to the psych ward and I was in there for a couple of weeks and, uh, I thought, okay, well, I'm obviously being proactive cause I'm in the hospital now, uh, <laughs> which again, uh, is not being proactive. That's just a safe space for you to not hurt yourself. Um, so I kept seeing a, a counselor and stuff. And but again, I, I just kept smoking weed. Uh, I kind of took a break from the drinking. So, I mean, I, there was no. They, yeah, I, I was doing stuff that I thought was being proactive. Right. And then it was but it was like six years ago in November and I was miserable and I'd stopped all the partying. Now, at this point, it was just every night in my garage alone drinking and smoking pot um, for hours on end and playing my guitar and feeling sorry for myself. Uh, And so I was feeling really suicidal that night because I had tried to stop drinking before. I tried to stop smoking pot. I tried to be uh, quote unquote normal and not be depressed. And uh, yeah, I went into the house. I sat up on my computer. I I wrote basically what was a suicide note. but it was actually the first draft of my kid's book. Uh, and uh, I thought, this is this is it. Like, I've, I've fucked around with this enough. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to die. And, you know, I'm so, I was so drunk and high, I don't actually remember this. But I, I actually, what ended up happening was I woke up my wife. And uh, she ended up taking me to my local hospital here in my small town. And, and that was really the, the beginning of actually doing work now. Uh, so that was the last night I drank was actually the night... I wrote the first draft of my kid's book was the night I, I stopped drinking. Uh, it took me about a week later to stop smoking pot because <laughs> I was right. detoxing in the hospital, going out to the parking lot, smoking weed. And then my doctor was like, you know what? You're not allowed to go outside anymore. We know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, thought okay. I, thought I was sneaky. <laughs> yeah. And then he was the one. It was actually my doctor was a huge, like my family doctor uh, was, was, I you know, lots of people – Saved, helped save my life, but he was kind of the the first one that really like said you you have to go to treatment, you have to go to AA meetings, you have to start seeing a counselor and start doing the fucking work. Uh, and he really drilled it in my head. And at that point in my life, I'd you know I was so sick and tired of living that way that I you know <laughs> it took a couple of days of convincing, but because um, it was just so scary, like cha- it's basically changing your whole life. Like a new normal is was freaking me out, but but I but I did it, and so so I'd say that was what really what uh, got my life, or that's that's really when I started being pro- actually proactive with my mental health was when I quit drinking, right, and put in the work to actually do that. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a long, boring answer or not, but that's, no, that's, that's what it was. That's a, that's a <laughs> perfectly length answer, honestly. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was funny that you said that you smoked for a week while you were kind of getting off of the booze because I I actually did the same shit. So I couldn't get rid of it all at the same time or I would have probably lost my marbles even further, you know? Yeah, it was harm reduction. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Yeah. So six years ago, you finally took the steps to start being proactive. Um, Yeah. And you you said that that was the first draft for your, your children's book? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, so that was six years ago. How long did it take you to finish the children's book? (laughs) Another four years. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, six months ago I was diagnosed with ADHD and I was like, fuck, no kidding. eh?" Um, (laughs) a, I'm Canadian by the way. Uh, (laughs) um, uh, you know, I, 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 yeah. When I start a major project, it, it takes me a while. Um, but it was also, you know, I kept coming back to it and changing the draft. Like the first draft was really just re- – it was really small and it was like uh, – it was still through the eyes of a kid watching his dad go through depression and stuff. And and I say it was a suicide note, but it was – you know, it wasn't like, you know, I, I'm leaving this world. It was like – I think it was guilt putting – having my kids watch me through the years just constantly fuck up and be a dipshit and whatever and just not be – not be present really because I was always either hungover or high. So, so I, yeah, kind of wrote this little scribble down this thing about a kid watching his dad go through depression and whatever. But yeah, so then then it evolved and then I, you know, so I'd work on it. I'd leave it for like six months and I'd come back and then I started talking with an illustrator and then I left it again and came back and, um, then COVID hit. And I thought, God damn it, I'm going to finish this project come hell or high water. So <laughs> then I, I actually was able to finish it and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's self-published. I, not a lot of, I, I, I sent it out to a couple places and it's a little, well, you've read the book. It's, I've it's, read the book. Yeah. It's age appropriate, but it's still, I think, scary for uh, a child's book company to really want to. Of course put their money into it. So, you know, slightly controversial, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But it talks about taking medication and going to the hospital and stuff like that. So, yeah. Sometimes I, I think having that conversation is necessary though, you know? And I mean, if it's, it's not traditional, it doesn't mean it's, it's not still useful, you know? So I agree. Yeah. It was just, your, your I, message absolutely. was just different from what, you know, the traditional books are to be sold by, you know? Yeah. You know, I, I don't think people give, kids enough credit to understand stuff that you know it's, it was the one company where they were like oh it's not fluffy enough and the illustrations are scary looking i'm like what the fuck are you talking about like what do you want like a fluffy cloud talking about depression like no 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 this like so it's so it's realistic but it's you know it straddles the line of not it's not scary realistic oh. but it's also not you know uh, fluffy either. So it kind of straddles the line of it's realistic, but not scary. So, uh, I'm so, I'm not, like, I'm not proud of a lot of things I've done in my life, but I'm really proud of that book. I think it came out exactly how, how I wanted it. So hell I'm yeah. Happy with it. Yeah. It's a good yeah. ass book. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change <laughs> exactly. a thing about it. Yeah. Honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, I read it and then, um, my girlfriend is also a special education teacher here in the Chicago mm. land area. So she loved the book too. Um, nice. It just does a great job. Like having that conversation, like you said, you know, we don't give kids enough credit 
Like they notice that stuff, you know, they might not know how to put it in big people words, but they, they know those feelings. And yeah, I think, yeah, I think you, you hit it on the head with that. It was a really great book. Appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. And, and, and the surprising feedback I've gotten back, cause I, you know, it was meant for kids to like kind of, uh, relate and, um, understand depression better, but a lot of, a lot of mothers are buying the book because their husbands are going through this and they have kids. And so a lot of mothers are saying, you know, it's, it's, it's also helping my husband to accept what's going on and, right. and to normalize it and stuff. And I was like, Oh shit. And you know, when I was working on it, I never actually thought about that part, but so it's, uh, it's like, Oh, cool. Right on. Yeah. It all, it all comes full circle, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, do you still do the uh, the meetings, the traditional twelve step? Uh, n- not since COVID. Okay. So I've actually, I have more years sober not going to twelve step meetings than uh, going to twelve step meetings, and uh, I I don't as far you know I I doesn't like I don't push or promote the twelve step twelve step meetings. If you're into them, cool, but there's, you know, there's other ways to get and stay sober and it's a, you know, it's a spectrum. Some people need the meetings, need, um, you know, five a week. Uh, I needed them in early sobriety for sure, uh, coming out of treatment and stuff. Um, but I, I felt pretty comfortable in my sobriety and I, I do right now still. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do other things to, uh, stay on top of it. I, you know, I, I, uh, talk with other addicts all the time. I, I even worked at the um, the treatment center for a couple of years that I went to. Uh, I was still going to meetings then, but but I but you know I, I made a lot of friends and stuff through there. So I keep in contact with people and stuff, and you know I, I yeah I, I did all the twelve steps, so I feel like you know I I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> you, you did the work is what you're trying to say. Yeah, you know? yeah, but I mean I'm also doing the maintenance stuff too. I think or. Or at least I try to. Yeah, but you found your own formula for it after. That's not totally yeah. the twelve step. It's it's like your own twelve steps, you know. Yeah, that's right. And and actually, even uh, getting the ADHD diagnosis has been huge. It, you know, I'm I'm now on proper meds and I'm doing like the proper treatment because uh, uh, some of the counseling I was doing and I wasn't doing the work was because it just I couldn't. It wouldn't register with my brain or I couldn't, I couldn't do like, here, take these worksheets home and, and work on these worksheets. I just, I don't do paperwork. Like, like that's not how my brain works. I'm not going to go home and do homework and, and feel better. Right. For, so, so now it's like, you know, when I talk to an ADHD coach or someone, then, you know, it's through that ADHD perspective. And, and so I'm feeling, uh. And so that actually helps with like cravings and all types of things like my depression, anxiety and addiction. We're all under the ADHD umbrella. Uh, so I'm no longer treating symptoms, but I'm actually treating the cause of all these things. Now it feels like so. That's, so, yeah, that's been a big help. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing <sighs> you, uh, the one thing you uh, <laughs> mentioned was uh, the treatment center that you had started uh, kind of working at and, and speaking for. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did that come about? And was that like in your early sobriety as well? Yeah. Uh, so the treatment center was actually in my small town, like, <laughs> and, and then all the other clients that I was in there with, like, no one's from my town that's in there. Uh, so it's like, I'm work like the staff are like, 
childhood friends' parents and stuff like this, right? <laughs> like, I'm, so it was kind of weird. Like, my like literally the town I live in is like less than two thousand people, so that, like everyone knows everybody or related to everybody. So Jeez. it was kind of weird. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of weird being in this treatment center where it's like I know all the staff because you know I just I just know them. They're neighbors and friends and stuff. So anyway. Um, after I left, they always encourage you to come and do return visits. Uh, whether you've relapsed or not, come and talk to the, the new clients and, you know, let them know what it's like outside of treatment and, you know, the uh, and stuff like that. So I was going probably once a month back there to, to uh, talk to people. And after a year sober, there was a new director there. And the director was actually, she was doing her... Um, now, what's it called when a student sits in with a counselor practicum? She was doing her practicum. So she was a student when I was a client there and she really liked me for whatever reason or liked my story or whatever. So she she asked me to start coming once a month and actually speak to all the clients, not just sit in with group and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I do that once a month for about a year. And then she approached me and said, you know what? I, I, I want you on staff now. So I was like... Okay, yeah, fuck, giddy up. Um, it didn't. I, I had to take a big pay cut from what I was doing, but uh, uh, it didn't matter to me. Like it was like, uh, I mean, it it took me a little while to decide. I should say it didn't matter. It did at first, but it was worth it. Um, so yeah, I worked there for I think it was about a year and a half before COVID hit, and it closed down, and there was also a fire, and so Shit. they're no longer here. They're <laughs> the place burnt down. They reopened, but it's like. Uh, like an hour and a half away. So I, uh, Damn. I never did go back, but yeah. And it was amazing, man. Like working there was fucking amazing. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved the clients. I loved, I loved all of it. It was just so cool. Would you ever consider like picking up a job like that again, if it came around? Um, <laughs> well, I think I love podcasting better. Hey. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, uh, it would be great, but I, <laughs> I don't, man. Okay. So here's my life story. I, I don't think I had a job for longer than two years, the same job, right? So I bounced around from job to job to job to job. Right. And, uh, and it's partly because of, I think my ADHD. So it was like, Hey, this job is cool and novelty wears off. And it's like, Oh, now it's starting to be kind of boring. And, uh, um, a little more challenging than I was hoping. So like, boop, I, I dip out. So the, so to actually go to school for like three or four years to have a job that I'd probably quit after a year, <laughs> like, nah, I don't think it's financially good, but, um, so no, I don't think I'd ever do that. So yeah, my hopes is to make enough money eventually on the podcast that I can do that full time and whatever, but that's see, every podcaster's dream, right? That so. is the dream for sure. Yeah, we'll see. I just, uh, actually just. Came up to a hundred episodes. Um, there's only ninety five released right now, but I've I have over a hundred recorded now. So I was like, it was a big milestone, and I'm like, Ooh, yeah, that's tight. Hell yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the uh, the podcast too. Um, now, obviously, you came out with the children's book, and aside from you know speaking at the uh, the treatment center, mm -hmm. you also. Obviously, you like speak at events now too. You do public speaking, and whether that's on like panels, you know, over the internet or in person as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, when did you decide to do the podcast? Um, 
that was also during COVID and I'd finished the book. I was like, well, okay, did that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, now what do I do? Uh, and I'd done enough speaking and enough. Um, I was on other people's podcasts and whatever. I, I'd done enough that I was like, I was tired of, well, I wasn't tired of it, but I, I wanted, I wanted to hear other people's stories because people are always contacting me anyway, like uh, about their stories. And I was like, well, for God's sake, like I know enough people that would have good, uh, you know, stories. And I used to play in bands and stuff. So I had the gear. Uh, I had the time because <laughs> it was COVID. So I was like, you know, it's about time. I, I'd been thinking about doing it for a while. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to do it. And I thought um, maybe I'll just do like five to 10 episodes. And I was going to do it all just kind of local people. So it was just going to be, I live in the, in the province of Saskatchewan. So I thought, you know, I'll make it a very Saskatchewan-based mental health podcast. And the first 10 episodes were kind of like that. But I fucking liked it so much. I was like, fuck this. I'm going, I like, I want to, I want to talk to everybody now. So <laughs> I just, uh, it just kept going and going and going. So two years later, over two years later now and hundred episodes, I'm like, I'm still loving it. So I don't know. I'm, I think maybe I found something that is, it gives me enough purpose and gives me enough dopamine, both of them, uh, that, uh, it, it keeps it new all the time. So I, I think I found what I want to do. Yeah, I mean, you you got some pretty big name people coming on your podcast too, and it's it's interesting because you don't do just like a general uh, wellness. You have like people who come on that are also coaches or like treat it like professionals. Then you have people who are going through it. You know, whether it's uh, neurodivergent people or trauma victims or anything like you, pretty much bring in everybody and everybody on the podcast and. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the stories are literally every end of the spectrum. So it's it's you're always going to find something that you can relate to if you go into your catalog, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, and that's part of the dopamine hit. I think it's like um, <laughs> it's different every time. Yeah, yeah, if I just focus on one, whether it was just depression or schizophrenia or whatever, like or uh, or addiction, whatever, I think I would I wouldn't keep doing it. But I, I like that mental health is so vague. Right. <laughs> like I can, I could talk. Basically, I could talk to anyone. I feel like talking to, and you know, I, I can put a mental health twist on it somehow, or they can, or whatever. Um, not that it's that vague, but you know, um, I, I do. Yeah, I, I, I want to mix it up a lot. So, yeah, lately I've, and sometimes you'll see I kind of go through phases too, where it's like I, I <laughs> for a while there were stand-up comedians, like I'd had like three or four stand-up comedians in a clump of like um, eight episodes. And I was like, Oh God, okay. I, I, and then something, something, then I get hooked onto something else and then I get hooked onto something else. So anyway, right now I've been talking a lot of it, a lot about um, men's mental health. Um, but I'm also kind of doing Instagram lives too, so that I don't saturate the bot the podcast with all the same kind right. of content so i kind of spread it all over the place too so so yeah i've been kind of involved in some of those kind of discussions and had uh people on the podcast talking about that stuff because it is a it's a thing yeah i was gonna well it is mental health awareness month and the conversation about men's mental health is very important um we don't really need to get into statistics on how i think it struggles across the globe you know um mm -hmm. Do you think that we're getting better as men with being more vulnerable with our um, 
I'd say our shame, failure, and shortcomings, because I feel like that's the only way that we're ever going to grow and heal is coming to terms with it. Uh, I do. I think, uh, okay, so I'm Generation X. What's next? Millennials? I think millennials and the whatever's younger than millennials, I think I think they're getting a lot better with uh, with not just talking, but also just being able to understand what they're feeling. Uh, you know, I was raised by boomers, which is whatever. It's fine. Um, <laughs> you know, and, but, you know, there's also, you know, uh, I, I call it the, um, no, well, I don't call it. It's called the Manslow's hierarchy of needs, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the my my parents and their parents were like worried about world wars and things like that. So, you know, mental health was low on the hierarchy of needs. And now, now it's like, you know, even if you're poor, you know, you, you're still you know, you have shelter, you have food and stuff, so we don't have to worry about that. So then things like mental health do bump up a little more on the hierarchy of needs. So uh, I think right now the the generations are in a bit of a transition spot. So uh, people my age, I'm 45, so people my age, uh, you know, from 45 to like 65, you're hearing all these male celebrities that are taking their own lives and stuff like this. And I think it is because they, I think part of it is they don't, they were never taught how to express their emotions either appropriately or even how to identify their emotions, uh, which I think a lot of men don't know that they're depressed uh, and or have anxiety or whatever. And it comes out as anger or binge drinking or whatever, um, being aggressive and frustrated and yelling at the kids and stuff. Uh, so I think I think the younger generations are getting a, better at identifying their emotions and being more self-aware of what's going on and why they're feeling things. So, uh, so yeah, I do think it's getting better, but my generation is, seems to be struggling right now a bit. Yeah. I I think we still have like a long way to go, obviously in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm part of the millennial generation and it used to be, even if like people found out like in grade school or high school that you went to therapy, people still looked at you differently, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, including myself, but I honestly think it's necessary. I was even just talking to my therapist last week and he said, we should use therapy as like, uh, how many times you go to the dentist or you go to get a checkup at the doctor, you know, once a year just to check how everything's doing. He says, I think it should be more common for people to do the same thing with like a therapist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Be proactive, not reactive. It's like now that you're in the throes of suicidal thoughts and stuff like just go get the oil changed once in a while and then you know you won't have uh seized pistons is that a thing i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about but you know I mean? <laughs> it's, it's more like a maintenance thing than it is a uh a triage thing of course and you know talk everyone said like how with mental health you were thinking you were doing the work back in the day and I thought I was doing the same shit. I'm going to be honest because I started going to therapy at the age of 16 and once I started, you know, we come into that teenage age and we start distrusting the world and the only thing I trusted was, you know, the booze or the weed and my group of friends, you know, and Mm -hmm. unfortunately all of those sources aren't really going to give you (laughs) very healthy answers to what you're going through. So I think coming to terms with going to get an unbiased opinion about something, it's like, yeah, you can talk to your friends about the shit you're going through, but like there are literally people who are trained to like help you through things, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And it was tough. I started changing at the age of 26. I told myself I, I'm wrong and I need help. for what I'm wrong for what I've been doing to myself, right? So I admitted that. And at that moment, I was able to change, you know, because I admitted mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's nice because more people are doing that here in the millennial and Gen, Gen Z generation, obviously. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think it is because, yeah, people are more aware now that, oh, shit, this is, this is pretty important. <laughs> like, <laughs> like trying to identify what emotion you're going through and why you're going through it is important. And I mean, I never, I mean, I remember being in, in treatment and they they said, you know, you have to start feeling your feelings. I was like, it made no sense to me. Like, I do feel my feelings. Like, I'm fucking <laughs> miserable all the fucking time. <laughs> but um, but once I got sober, then I, and, and they gave us a, a, a sheet of paper with like this emotion wheel thing. So it's like a, a wheel and then, you know, this closer to the wheel, it's. Yeah. So the, like the outside of the wheel is like happy, sad, whatever. But then you go under happy and it breaks down all the different kinds of happy emotion mm. words mm. and stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. OK. So uh, so anyway, every uh, group session, our counselor would say, so how, how are you feeling? And of course, all the dudes would be like, good. And she's like, no, no, no. French fries are good. <laughs> <laughs> that was her big joke. French fries are good. How are you feeling? And uh, we'd be like, OK, OK. Fucking, you know, diet pops okay. What the fuck are you feeling? Like, it was old school, man. This this treatment center was old school. Like, counselors swear at you and stuff. Uh, so then uh, you'd be like, oh, I feel, um, you know, uh, I feel kind of scared, actually, because I have to share my work today. Okay, that's a feeling. You know? <laughs> so like, and so then, you know, I start to get it. It's like, oh, feel your feelings. Don't just be like fucking... People talk about putting labels on things and like, oh, you know, why do we have to put a label on everything? Because it fucking helps you identify what the fuck you're, what's happening. So, right. uh, so yeah, put a label on your emotion because then you know what the fuck you're feeling. Exactly. Don't just drink it away or, um, you know, work fucking 20 hours a day, seven days a week to avoid what you're feeling because you don't understand it. Like stop and, and, uh, identify what the fuck you're feeling. Yeah, and if you can't identify it, then you get somebody to help you identify it. <laughs> yeah, like, right. shit, like, why are we so proud? It's unreal. <laughs> God. Yeah. Uh, I was. I don't know if I was proud. I think I was scared. Yeah. I was like, uh-oh, someone's going to figure me out, and I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what it is, and I don't want that someone else to tell me what it is. <laughs> I don't want to hear it out loud. I just want to keep <laughs> it in my head. Yeah, it's real, fuck. Oh man. But yeah, being in treatment, like the, yeah, I was having like thoughts and like the counselors and like, fuck, they, they went through so many clients over the years because the, the place had been open like 40 years or something. And like, I thought it was like, oh, but I'm a special case. Cause I feel this way. This, And then like, they would just talk like, I wasn't a fucking special case. I was textbook, man. <laughs> like, I was like, oh shit. Oh, which, which was like embarrassing at first I was like, oh, here I thought I was special, but you know, they've been dealing with people just like me for 40 years. And then, it, but then it, you know, so I went from like feeling stupid to feeling, um, you know, not alone and, and like, okay, so maybe this program will work because all these other people felt the same way I did. And now, uh, you know, I'm here and if I just, you know, uh, if I just surrender and work the program, like they say, maybe 
maybe I can get through this. Yeah. And it, so far I have. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> six years and counting, that's like hell of an accomplishment. So I'm right behind yeah, you. Thanks, I, got, I got four. I'm, I'm coming up on you. Uh, don't get me wrong. I have thoughts all the time. Like, you know, I could probably smoke weed again. I'd be fine. <laughs> I, got, <laughs> I, I got the same the, thing, man. <laughs> then, uh, you know, I play the tape all the way through and it's like, hmm, but then I'll be high all the fucking time again. Right. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. I've, I've run that tape just, just as many times and I've actually, my therapist even, uh, one of my therapists had talked to me about it. He goes, all right, let's, let's entertain this for a second. Let's, let's say you do it. Okay. <laughs> and, and maybe you have it under control for the first like six months. Maybe it's like, you know, this is just a once a month thing or whatever, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. something happens. Maybe you lose somebody. Well, now you throw the drinking into it. And then he goes, do you really want me to tell you how the next year after this is going to go? And I'm like, no, because I know Asshole. it's going to be miserable. <laughs> he goes, all yeah. right, so we don't need to have this conversation. Yeah. Um, I actually yeah. had uh, the last guest I had on my podcast was a a, a rapper from Detroit. Uh, his name is Muncie. Uh, mm-hmm. He's also four years sober, and he works the program. He goes to meetings and stuff. Um, so we chat a lot about those thoughts that we have, like, oh, maybe I could do this or that. But then it's like, after all the the good things that have happened in my life are changing. And then you weigh that against this short-term pleasure. It's like, it's not even worth it anymore. I'm like, shit, my mm. life's so much better now that I don't have all that crap, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I know how I am. And yeah, when it would, yeah, like I said, it would take six months and I'd be in my garage every night again, strumming my guitar, <laughs> feeling sorry for myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's funny when I was, <laughs> I'd also romanticize it when I was in there doing that too. It was like, man, if I just died alone on the beach with my guitar, man, that's the way to go, man. That's a life, man. And then, you know, you get sobered, you're like, no. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, why was this I thinking that? Life. Like, why would I romanticize it? You know, you're justifying it and, you know, uh, yeah. But yeah. But don't get me wrong. I would love to fucking smoke a big fat fucking bowl of weed right now. <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I, would, I wouldn't mind it as well, but at, at the cost, mm. it's not worth it. Not to mention, like, now I'm starting <laughs> yeah. to think about, like, you know, you said it too. You had a lot of people that helped you through everything. And it's like they, they believed in you to be who you are right now. They've always believed that. You know, and they, and I have the same thing in my life. And then I'm like thinking about like that bowl of weed. And then I think about all the people who have stuck with me my whole life and who are behind me every step of the way. And I'm like, man, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna fuck this up. You know, like, like everyone's like had such good intentions for me. Damn. I can get sentimental. (laughs) Fuck them. Fuck them. No, I'm kidding. Fuck them. Fuck them. Do it. (laughs) They won't know the first. A few times I do it. Right. That and that and then you start thinking that shit too. It's just it's 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 pointless. Yeah, yeah, man. Oh, um, I know. I I know, yeah. I like I'm very, very confident I won't 
right. you know, do anything like that again. But but then I do have like real serious thoughts like, well, if my wife dies early or something. <laughs> yeah, you could always have like those catastrophic things and it's like, but then you're like literally thinking, I'm like, man, this tangent is probably not going to happen. And I'm just like entertaining nothing right now. <laughs> Who am I kidding? I'm going to die first anyway. Fuck it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. my, my old heart from... All the speed is, uh, you know, it's probably a little shaky right now, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, man, I had a rough week, actually. I was like, um, well, I kind of told you before we started recording that, you know, with my day job and stuff, I was like getting a little overwhelmed this last couple of weeks. And, um, and then Friday, I was actually thinking. So I, went, so I went to a quick trip to Vegas with my wife and I don't smoke. But when I'm in the States, I'll buy, or even when I'm anywhere on holiday, I'll buy a pack of cigarettes. And that's like my new, that's kind of like my thing. It's like, <laughs> I don't drink, I don't smoke pot. So I'll have the occasional cigarette when I'm on holiday, especially when I'm in the States, because you can't get flavored cigarettes in Canada. So I got some camel crushes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, mm, menthol, yummy. <laughs> I'm smoking medicine. So, <laughs> yeah. so anyway, I, I realized like, oh shit, I've been smoking these cigarettes for the last two weeks. So it was only one pack. So, but, and, and, uh. And I'm also on, I started Concerta for the ADHD. And it's like, I think part of my fucking dealio, my mood was my fucking blood pressure was up because I'm smoking cigarettes. There is a bit of stress from work, but I'm also on Concerta. Right. <laughs> so it's like, fuck it. You know, I think it was all my own doing. So yeah, I have to be, you know, I have to be aware of what I'm doing and what change, yeah. uh, you know, what, what changed in my daily program as to why, uh, you know, if my mood, what the fuck am I trying to say? But <laughs> if I'm having an off week, it's like, okay, what's different in my life right now? It's like, oh yeah, I'm smoking cigarettes. Fucking idiot. Yeah. You have the ability to, <laughs> to identify that too. And then I, I know you, you drink coffee though, right? Oh, okay. So co coffee, Concerta and cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, let's figure this out now. <laughs> but the weed will counteract it, right? Yeah, so that'll slow me down. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll be yeah, okay. I actually got a couple months off nah. of the, the old tobacco right now too. Cause that's, uh, you know, at, like you said, you don't drink or smoke anymore, but sometimes you'll have a cigarette. You know, I get in these habits where I smoke cigars, you know, but mm. uh, yeah, I love tobacco. So I'm trying to not love tobacco so much, you know, and we're working on it. But I think I got like nice. two months now without it. So trying nice. to, yeah, trying to get uh, my lungs back up to par uh, just for doing cardio and stuff like that. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boring ass stuff. Uh, so right now we have a shit ton of uh, uh, forest fires here in Canada. Shit. And uh, like the other day it was like, I, you couldn't even see down the block from from all the fire uh, or all the smoke coming in. And I remember thinking, oh, God, that's terrible. That's not that's not going to be healthy as I'm smoking one of my cigarettes in my car with the windows up. <laughs> like, what, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> but it was only one pack. I have two left. I buy about two packs a year, literally. So, uh, you know, but that's but at the same time, we, yeah, that's one thing I never got hooked on. But but at the same time, you know, that's no wonder I was having an off week. <laughs> <laughs> Figured it out, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm still going to have those last two cigarettes, though. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Throw those out. What the yeah. hell? He paid for those. <laughs> They're menthol for fuck's sakes. Yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I actually only, I smoked menthol until I was like, uh, 
19 um, because they mixed very well with speed. So, um, oh. yeah, is what Ooh. I thought, you know. Um, and then I moved to non-menthol for uh, probably like nine years. Uh, huh. So do you have- menthol and weed. Menthol and weed, eh. yeah, like you know, it spliffs when you like. Oh, you mean mix rolling, it up? Yeah. Uh, if you put it in a Camel Crush thing, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know terrible. about that. No way. It's gross. Oh, speaking of, speaking of Vegas, so yeah, because weed is legal everywhere. Oh yeah. Uh, I was getting fucking wafts of weed in my face in Vegas, and was like, oh yeah, to the point that I was like getting nauseous a couple times because I was, I was like, holy fuck, it's and everywhere. Then, yeah, and yeah. then a couple other times it was also like my mouth watering, and I'm like, oh, honey, uh, <laughs> squeezing her hand a little, you know. Ooh, was, oh, she's like, no, you're not doing it. I'm like, I know, I know, but let me just enjoy that. Let me for just a smell it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can literally get it all over the place when you're in Vegas. Yeah, well, Canada too. It's legal everywhere in Canada oh, now. Shit, so. yeah. But yeah, but I, I, you don't smell it in the street like you do in Vegas because it's like a, you know crowded streets and stuff but yeah it's just a free-for-all in vegas though it's just wild yeah, yeah. debauchery abound it is debauchery yeah <laughs> we, we were just there in august so yeah it was oh, de- yeah. yeah debauchery <laughs> did, did that bother you the smell of weed ever uh i don't really have i don't have a problem with weed so mm. um like when i say i don't have a problem with it like at the age of 18 I started smoking it every day like as like a, a cherry on top to a cocktail of whatever I was doing you know it <laughs> right. just perfect it just went with everything perfectly you sure know it does all, buddy uh, all the different things yeah it does and uh I didn't mind quitting that one and staying away from that one because uh I've said it a lot of times but when I smoked weed I didn't want to work out mm. I I didn't want to work out. I wanted to play a lot of video games and I wanted to eat a lot of burritos, right? And that's what happened when I would smoke weed. And the trifecta. The trifecta. I mean, you, you know, it was a good feeling when I was doing it, but when I quit it, I didn't have a problem like staying off of it. I'm like, mm. I'm just going to get, I'm, I feel so lazy when I do it. Like, I would literally just like sit there and like listen to music and like I said, play video games all day. You know, I couldn't get mm-hmm. shit done. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and when I'm around my friends, when they smoke it too, like it bothers me, you know, like if I'm in an enclosed space, you know, when people are like hot boxing, uh, an apartment, yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty fucking brutal, honestly, but no, I don't like smell it and think I got to do it. It's the, uh, the drinking, the drinking irks me that one. I think about a little bit, I think about more than the weed for sure. So hmm. when I see people, yeah, it, oh, when I see people drinking or I'm like out at a bar or like even at a wedding or like different occasions with a lot of booze and people getting drunk or concerts, then I'm like, I feel a little uneasy. You know, I'm like, ugh. <clears throat> it did at first for me, but honestly, I don't miss the drinking. It's 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 the weed. I it's miss the weed. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah. just fucking get all goofy eyed, <laughs> <just>, zoned out. <laughs> yeah. Stare at something for like an hour and go, wait, what, what, where the fuck am I? Oh, yeah. Cool. <laughs> but nice. the thing is, like, I, I I was doing it so often and so much. It's like, uh, you know, you're chasing that dragon again. It's like, I could not get high. Like, I smoked all the fucking time and I could not, I couldn't get to where I wanted to get nope. for like the last year and a half of doing it. Um, Just tolerance so, yeah, is too was, high. Yeah, man. It was fucking unreal. And 
some some old lady from town here like gave me a edible cookie once and she's mm. like this will really get you going <laughs> so so i ate it and like the next day she's like how was it i was like fuck it didn't I, it tasted like a cookie i was like it didn't do a fucking thing and she's like you're unbelievable. Should have knocked the horse out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, fuck, I didn't feel a goddamn thing. But, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm breaking how much I could handle. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was hey. annoying, to be honest with you. As expensive as more, more like it. <laughs> oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I was working. Basically, all my money just went to weed and booze. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah that, that's, all there, that's all that mattered back then, though, was... I got to work this job so I can get those two things. That's it. You know? Yeah. And I was convinced that the weed was good for me because you always hear like, oh, it's, you know, it's, right. it's, uh, it helps with anxiety and all this stuff. And it was like, yeah, maybe it helped in a panic or ta- attack or two, but, um, why am I getting anxiety every hour and a half <laughs> <laughs> while I'm high? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, right. It's causing the anxiety because I'm jonesing, you know, it's like, it's like fuck, I'm such an idiot. Uh, well, we learned yeah. from it though, you know, we did. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I did. Uh, yeah. And, and getting sober, like, I mean, I was going through so much depression and shit God, and yeah. I would lay in bed for like days and shit. Once I got sober, it was like I never I, – I have yet to spend a day in bed. Um, I, I think the I think the weed was causing a lot of the anxiety and the booze is causing a lot of the depression, I think. Right. Um, but then, you know, I kept having anxiety. It started coming back and then COVID hit and like I was, I was fucking getting unbelievable anxiety again. And then that's kind of when I started looking into ADHD and stuff. And it's like, you know, I, I think I was prone – so on my dad's side is ADHD and on my mom's side is just like chronic anxiety. So, um, so anyway, I, yeah, I don't know why I brought that up. Oh no, you were good. You're, I mean, I thought, you were still, <laughs> I thought you were still going. Uh, <laughs> I probably had a point. I just forgot it. It's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I had a point too, but I lost it. You know, I haven't gotten tested for ADHD, but, um, my mind bounces around <laughs> like a fucking pinball machine usually. Yeah, especially when I get into a good conversation with somebody like this. It's like I get excited and I talk and it's like – and then I never want to say – yeah, yeah, it's just – And then we're up. like, where did, where did we go again? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes the inner stoner in me comes out and I just go, what? And that's, that's yeah, the yeah. rest of it. <laughs> um, so we would have so fun, so much fun together if we smoked pot, man. Let's oh do my, it. Let's oh go. My. <laughs> Let's go. You want me to fly kidding, up there? Uh, <laughs> no, just sit, we'll just sit here. We'll hang out. We'll just sit here on our podcast, our our mental health podcast, and, <laughs> and do everything we're telling people not to do. <laughs> <laughs> people are going to be mad at me just for saying, "Come on, let's get high." Right, right. Now. right. Yeah, no, whatever. no, I'm kidding, everyone. Eh, I'm not going to get high. No, we're still sober and, and kicking ass. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I abuse my concerta, but that's it. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I took that once. Um, I, I stuck to Adderall, which is a different form of that. Uh, I didn't like the concerted mm. too much. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's, it's time released, so you yeah, can't just pound it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't uh, speedy enough, which was the thing. Cause like the Adderall is literally like, like ten cups of coffee at once. You know, like Adderall's mm. got a really cracked out feeling to it. You know, um, and mm. the concerted was like just like kind of mellow. You know. But, um, yeah, it just hmm. wasn't good enough for 19-year-old John, apparently. So, <laughs> <laughs> were, were you ever into psychedelics? 
Yes. Um, everything. I know you told me, but yeah, the, so the first time, so the, before the first time I got sober, I had two stints in rehab. Uh, first was an outpatient program for two weeks. And then the second time was an inpatient program. The first time Mm -hmm. I was going through rehab, it was weed with a concoction of rave culture drugs and, and speed. So it was like, you know, and back in the day there was something called the Silk Road, which was the dark web, right? Uh, the hidden Mm -hmm. internet. And you could order literally different tryptamines, different mescaline derivatives off of this you know, just all these different crazy number chemistry combinations of all this other crazy shit. And we were just getting a plethora of them. So I was just- A plethora, you say? A plethora. It was, you know, it it was a Mm -hmm. list, probably over at least 10 different like chemicals and experiences and stuff. So I was really heavy into the psychedelics and while I was mixing it with uh, ecstasy and Adderall. So that was like my baseline Mm -hmm. for an entire year and a half, which- led to uh, my psychosis and my first going through rehab. So, right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. The second time around dealing with my addiction was all alcohol and cocaine. And I had completely stopped the tryptamines at that point. Cause I was just like, I don't need to rattle my perception anymore like that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But I, so the psychosis scared you a bit. Yes. Uh, and yeah. I definitely had, some PTSD from my mm-hmm. own psychosis, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah the psychedelics really got me for sure. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I did shrooms occasionally, which were, okay. you know, I'm not going to lie, a blast. Right. <laughs> but, um, again, also, I, I was on SSRIs for a long time. Sheesh. And uh, uh, I did Google it before I started doing them again, but... Um, the the SSRIs I'm on, I'm on it actually kind of you don't get quite the intense high I guess right when you're on it and some are actually really dangerous to be on mm-hmm. and two shrooms mm-hmm. um, so those uh, are called but, seizures uh, actually yeah, um, yeah. The SSRIs because they were uh, they're serotonin inhibitors or something um, mm-hmm. yeah and there's some studies about shrooms mixing with that but shrooms cause seizures all the time so you just have to be really careful with that shit you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can now imagine. there's now I get ads all the time about microdosing them and stuff. <laughs> it's like, oh, like damn, what? Like, why wasn't this shit all legal when I was fucking uh, doing it? <laughs> right <laughs> now you can just order it. I can just walk down the street into a fucking a weed shop and right. Like, good lord, I was a criminal before. Ah. Now you're just a daily consumer. It's crazy too. I mean, they started actually doing a lot of studies like for all the same drugs that I was doing in controlled environments with professionals in microdosing. There's been actually a bunch of studies about um, MDMA and psilocybin. Ketamine. Yeah, and ketamine too. And doing treatments like that for people who have PTSD, depression, anxiety, and stuff like that. Uh, So the Mm -hmm. studies are there if it's done correctly. You know, Uh, I just didn't do it correctly and I got the opposite effect. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Say with good certa. I mean, when taken properly, it helps you. Absolutely. Yeah, when when you're pounding a bottle of Adderall a day, it's not helping you. you. No, no, you're (laughs) going to spaz out, you know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, there was no such thing as uh, moderation. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, yeah. It was funny on the last episode, too. I said... Somebody said moderation. I think it was Mir Muncy. And uh, 
I was just like, I, I hate that word. Or I hate when like before I was getting sober, when I'm still like all mopey John and people are just like, oh, you just got to moderate it. And I'm like, I fucking hate that shit. You know, <laughs> like that's the, I, I, it's not my vocabulary, you know? And no. and then Muncie says, I do nothing in moderation. And it's true. Like even my, <laughs> exactly. e- even our creativity, you know, it's like, it's all or nothing at that point, you know? Sounds like ADHD to me, man. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not diagnosing you, but I, I'm just saying. I, I've had um, different therapists say I have um, different symptoms traits. of it. Yeah, traits, <laughs> yeah. let's say. Uh, the medical industry over here is crazy, and getting tested for something like that with really bad insurance is going gonna, is gonna to burn a hole in my pocket for now. You know, so yeah, man. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wait a little bit to do something like that, but um, mm-hmm. it's definitely in the works. Um, mm-hmm. So it is Mental Health Awareness Month. We have now given uh, the listeners good backstory on everything you've been through, all the good things you're doing, and then we gave a lot of good perspectives on what we think of you know our stories, addiction, and all that stuff. Do you have mm-hmm. any tips? tricks or insights that you could possibly give to people who are listening that are just either struggling or going through something or need some help? Uh, I think so. I kind of forgot we were recording this on it. People might be listening. I kind of got into the... <laughs> that was a conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I Once in a while on my, on my Instagram, Bunny Hugs Podcast, uh, I, I do kind of make memes and I mean, some of the, you know, some of the memes I make when I say memes, I like I mean like the words of wisdom kind of memes, right? Uh, you know, most of them are just reworded other ones. I think <laughs> none of them are really. They're clever. Yeah, yeah, they're okay. But uh, some of my favorite things or the things I tell a lot of people are. Uh, so I kind of touched on this earlier that I wasn't doing the work. Like I like if no one, nothing, and no one is going to heal you or cure you. Uh, it, you can go on meds and you can have a therapist or a counselor or whatever, and they that stuff will support you through your healing journey, but you got to do the fucking work. And, and, and if you don't do the work, I mean, you're just going to just do like I did and just keep spinning your wheels for a couple of years until, you know, you, something tragic does happen. And it's scary. It's, it's scary to actually bite the bullet and do the work. Uh, it took me, it, it basically took me, my wife threatening to kick me out of the house and my doctor saying, you, you know, you're going to die probably if you keep doing this. So I, I, what I'm trying to say is that it's easier said than done. So, I mean, you, you got to do the work. Um, what's another one I wrote the other day? Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> my meds are wearing off now. Um, yeah. I, I think that's it. Uh, yeah. I'll just use that one. <laughs> that, that, yeah, you got to do the work, man. Um, and and it, like I said, it is hard and it is scary. It's it's easier said than done. I needed to go to treatment because it basically locked me in there for thirty days, and it was like it was like boot camp to do the work, right? Like, right. I I needed that. I I going once a week to see a therapist wasn't good doing it. I had to sit eight hours a day, fucking seven days a week, and like otherwise, I I was never going to do the work. So right, um, yeah. So I'm glad I, I did it. There you go. I think yeah. uh, I think that's uh, something that everybody needs to hear. I mean, even people who who aren't going through full blown 
you know, just addiction and stuff like that. I, like a lot of my listeners, you know, it's just maybe some people who have little spurts of feeling uneasy in this world. And when they listen to stories like yours or mine, it, I'd like to think that we give people a lot of hope that it is possible to change their life for the better, you know, mm-hmm. and it all yeah. does start with doing the work, like you said, and you know, like he said, it's, it's going to suck. You got to be vulnerable though. And you got to be ready. If you want to make your life better, you got to fucking put in the work, you know? Yeah. And it is work. I mean, I fucking, I mean, it was work. It was uncomfortable, but <laughs> uncomfortable means you're, you know, if, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing, right? That's right. the old saying. So if you're just sitting there quite comfortable in your misery, then yeah, you're, you're not, nothing's going to happen. Right. You're not going to grow. So yeah, you have to really, really push yourself to, to get uncomfortable and work hard and it sucks and it's so rewarding. It is rewarding. I think it's contagious too. Cause you know, then you start affecting other people in a positive way. So beautiful yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Let's appreciate you coming by, uh, chatting with me. Uh, on the field. I love you, John. I love you too, man. Hell yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on to the Feel Free Podcast. Do my man a favor. Give him a like. Give him a share. Tell people about him. Listen to the Bunny Hugs and Mental Health Podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. I'm pretty sure you can find it on all major platforms too. Whatever you fancy. But definitely get on that because it's a good ass podcast. Thanks, man. Yay. And buy my fucking book. Yeah, buy his book, too, because it's on Amazon. <laughs> I'll be dropping links. Buy my to... fucking kid's book. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hold it up yeah, one more time. Holler. Support my man, though. Uh, I appreciate you coming out. And, oh, he's got one, too. Shit. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, appreciate everything. You guys have a good start to your week or weekend or good night, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Feel Free. If you haven't already, please give us a rating or a review as it does help new listeners find our show so more people can get in on some feel-free goodness. Again, we appreciate all the love and support from you all. Hope you have a good rest of your day.